and welcome to the Refuge Church Podcast, where we long to see the lost saved, the saved transformed, and the transformed sent. For more information on how you can be a part of Refuge Church, join us on Sunday mornings in Jacksonville at 9 a.m. or 10.30 a.m. Or visit our website at refugejackschurch.com. In this week's podcast, we are continuing our marriage sermon series. Thank you for listening. Church, good morning, good morning, good morning. It is a pleasure, it is an honor to stand before you. I am super excited to be with you guys this morning. I'd like to begin by way of an introduction. We're talking about marriage today. Uh, we're closing out the series that Pastor Josh has so eloquently uh, led, and uh, I want to continue kind of in that vein, so I want to call your attention. We're going we're gonna to turn there, but I'm going to read something just before that, but uh, we want to look at Romans 5 and 8, Romans 5 and 8, so go ahead and bookmark your, your Bibles, and I want to jump right in. Uh, by way of uh, conversation for the young people who are in the room, there are some tools out front on that little table there, parents. If you have those, I want to challenge the young people in the room to draw the very best picture of your parents, your family. All right. I want you to I want you to take advantage of this time and and. And, and do a nice portrait of your family. Want to see what those look like after service. Amen? All right, so today we're going to jump right in. And I want to give us some quotes for a biblical vision for marriage. These are just something to get us kicked off. And I was going to shorten the list, but I couldn't find which ones I wanted to take out. So I'm just going to give them all to you. So number one, the grand purpose of every marriage is to glorify God. Messed up, messy marriages have a great opportunity to bring glory to God. They do. Secondly, marriage is a principal tool of sanctification. Marriage, I believe, is a workroom for two people to become more like Christ. You can shorten it up and say marriage is soul school. <laughs> I believe it is. Number three, God calls husbands and wives to be each other's best biblical counselor. We're here to be each other's most vital, one another minister, most important encourager, most intimate spiritual friend. Number four, the purpose of marriage is to reveal God's glory as we represent the Trinity, as we reflect Christ and the church and enhance the maturity of our spouse. Number five, God designed marriage to be two people, a husband and a wife, being continually filled individually and together by the Trinity. Out of the overflow of that feeling, they sacrificially 
give life to each other so that they can grow together in Christ-like service for others. That was a really good one. That should have been a good amen right there. Number six. Got two more. Number six. What does a gospel-centered marriage look like? We are to give each other grace love that God uses to transform us increasingly into the character of Christ. Paul Tripp talks about people in need of change, helping people in need of change, which is a great phrase. And as it applies to marriage, he said, I'd like to say it this way. Transform spouses, transforming spouses. We have a responsibility when it comes to our families to do our very best when it comes to the marriage unit. Marriages are God's idea. Marriage is God's plan for his people. Not, not everybody is going to be married. I'm not singling out you know, single people, as though that you need to rush and just find you a man and hook them up. I'm, I'm not talking about that. Find you a woman and hook them up. I'm not talking about that. But what I do want to make clear is that marriage needs maintenance. Marriage is like a house. It needs maintenance. You get a house. You don't just live in it, and then the windows start fading and falling apart, and you don't go outside and repair. The roof has holes. Nope. It's, it's like anything else. It needs maintenance. And today, what we're doing is we're getting ready to do a little maintenance. I believe the text is going to speak for itself. And we're in Romans 5 and verse number 8. Here's what the Bible says. Romans 5 and 8, very, very clearly. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He did. Now, I want to share with you from this passage four essentials of a gospel-centered marriage. There are four. And I believe they're all four found within the text. They're all in this verse. The first that you're going to see uh, as it relates, and this is a term it's going to be salvation, but before we get to it, the term gospel-centered is quite the buzzword these days. I mean, we, we see gospel-centered books, podcasts, webinars, and on and on, and so we wonder, what does it take to be a gospel-centered parent, or family, or spouse? Well, I believe Pastor Josh mentioned one of the tensions we constantly struggle with is oneness versus self-centeredness. You see, and of course, oneness is where we belong, but I believe we often get confused about what the gospel-centered living actually means. Gospel-centered living, for starters, what is the gospel? I believe it's the announcement that God has restored our relationship with himself by sending his son, Jesus, to die for us, to die for our sins on a cross, to all who repent and believe. 
according to Mark 1, verse 15. So when we say something is gospel-centered, particularly a gospel-centered marriage, what does it actually look like? It is a marriage in which couples share the gospel with as many people as possible. And so the question becomes, do you have a marriage that follows the well-known husband and wife passages of Scripture? Do you have a marriage that brings honor and glory to the Lord and to him alone? Not each other, but to him and him alone. You and I have the responsibility as believers to present our marriages so that God gets the glory out of them. So for the rest of our time this morning, I'd like for us to center our thinking on Jesus. I'd like for us to just carefully uh, but very practically show how the gospel principles of salvation, humility, forgiveness, and love apply to the marriage relationship. Here are four ways to know that your marriage is gospel-centered. Number one, salvation. Salvation. You see, a husband and a wife must rely on Jesus to save them, not on each other. You, if, you have a, if you have a tendency to place God-like expectations on the person you wake up to every morning, looking to them to fill you with purpose and to fix what ails you, your marriage may not be gospel-centered. Our spouses weren't created to be our all in all. They're incapable of rescuing us from our guilt, our confusion, our fear, our failures, and our restlessness. In particular, our sin. If this is you this morning, individually or as a couple, it's time to, that we let them or each other off the hook. Or they just might break under the pressure of our need. We must turn to the gospel as individuals first and foremost, and then to each other. My wife and I, Sonia, uh, we have been married for 29 amazing years. She is my best friend. She's the best part of me. She's my girlfriend. She's the love of my life. She's my sweet pea. But she's number two. She's number two. And number two is in a bad place to be because I'm number two in her life. And see, when you talk about two people making sure that Jesus is first and he's in complete control of the marriage, you're going to find success. It's going to be a great marriage. You see, Sonia and I are married but here's the, 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 the cool thing. Jesus saved me, not Sonia. Nah. I love her dearly, but, but God is the one who butters my bread. Yeah. I, I mean, he's the king of my heart. He's the lover of my soul. It is he who wakes me up in the morning. And one of the problems in marital relationships is that we put our, our spouses in places they don't belong. You cannot get from each other what only can come from the Lord. Hear me today. 
You cannot put your spouse in a place. God always stays first. When you have a relationship, a marriage that's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, you can't help but be successful. It's, it's, it's just in the DNA of how God created it. Only Jesus bore our sins. Only Jesus took our infirmities and carried away our diseases. Tim, Timothy Keller puts it this way. Only God can fill God-sized holes. And, and until God has the proper place in our lives, we will always complain that we're not loved well enough. We're not respected well enough or supported enough. I have found that when two people are reaching for God and each other at the same time on a daily basis, it's an unstoppable force. It really is. It's an unstoppable force. If you can get two people on the same page wearing the same jersey, with the same shoes and the same socks, and you're on the same side of the ball, and you're teaching your kids to love Jesus, and your family has a foundation of Christ, you have no choice but to be a successful family. That's just how it goes. That's what God does. He created us for this person, purpose. I believe the, the relationship is deeper. I believe it's more grounded. I believe that friendship is stronger. I believe the, the, that the, the trust is unshakable. You see, when God is at the top and you're side by side reaching for him daily, look out. Look out. God has a plan for our marriages. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 12. And it says, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. But a threefold cord is not easily broken. Mm -mm. Matthew 18 and 20, it says, for where two or three are gathered in my name, the Bible says, Jesus is saying, there I am among them. If you really want to have a successful marriage, you have to have God at the core, at the center, at the top. He must be in first place. What we must do is stay in the word together as couples and as families. It's God's word that makes the difference in our relationship. You see, the enemy wants us to clutter up our lives and to get so busy with work and play until we don't have time for the book. Hear me today. When the evil forces of this world begin to pressure you, ma'am and sir, to think that the grass just may be greener on the other side of the fence. Don't you listen. Don't listen. No, no, no. Don't you listen. Here's what you do. Get along with this book in a quiet place and open it up and read and read and read. And you'll find yourself with a deep overflowing love for each other. You'll find a love that, that's so compassionate. It'll be a great friendship and a bond that, you, that nothing can get in between you. Oh, yeah. We're going to get on each other's nerves every now and then. <laughs> we're going to get on each other's nerves every now and then. Don't look at me like that because y'all get on each other's nerves too. We're going to get on each other's nerves. And, and, and every now and then, it's going to be some misunderstandings that happen. But guess what? The love stays. 
You know why? Because it's foundationally supported. It's Jesus. It's the gospel. It's the word of the Lord that makes the difference. So again, I ask, do you have a marriage that that follows the well-known husband and wife passages of Scripture? You know those verses, uh, submission to, uh, uh, to the husbands and, and, and loving your, li- your wife like Christ loved the church? Here's the question I'd like for you to wrestle with. Do you have a marriage that brings honor and glory to the Lord? Here's number two, humility. Humility. Humility is at the core of gospel living. And at the core of every great message, C.S. Lewis once famously said, he puts it this way, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. That's what marriage is. That's what humility is. That's what we're supposed to do on a daily basis. Couples who actually model the humility of Christ are quick to lay down their rights and, 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 and value others above themselves. James 4, 6 through 7 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. What this means is that we don't expect to be first. We don't demand to be heard and insist on winning every argument. No nudging, no nudging right here. It means that we listen to each other attentively. We seek to understand each other's perspective. And we serve each other wholeheartedly. Men in the room, men, when humility is present in our lives, we serve our families endlessly. Without needing an applause for what we do. And it's not that you don't ever need appreciation, but it's not something that we live for or demand. Here's a closer look at the humility of Jesus. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even on a cross, according to Philippians 2, 7 through 8. But then number three, we have forgiveness. In order for a married couple to love each other well until death do them part, they need to practice forgiving the small stuff, embracing themselves for forgiving the big stuff. Why? Because there are no perfect people. And, 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 And one of the most dangerous things you can do in your families is not to practice forgiving one another. Ephesians 4, verse number 32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And and when we truly understand the gospel, we realize that that the full-spectrum forgiveness is only possible because Jesus fully forgave our sins. For he was faithful and and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The more a husband and a wife experience the grace of the gospel, the larger their capacity to forgive one another. Like Paul, who said, out of the overflow of God's grace, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am worst. 
1 Timothy 15, 1.15. We too should view our sin as the worst. Now, this isn't a call for couples to be passive about each other's faults. It's not. But rather, it's a call to be radically grace-giving. Above all, we know all too well the sin that lurks deep within our hearts. There are three phrases I believe every married person should use often. First of all, I love you. I love you. Secondly, I am sorry. I'm sorry. And third, I forgive you. You see, if you have those three in your bag and you keep them on readily, on ready display, it's going to make for a peaceful and graceful home. It's going to be a place of love. It's going to be a place that God, has, the way God intended your marriage to be. But then that rolls me right into my fourth point, and that is love. That is love. You see, when a couple experiences the love of Jesus, they are empowered to love in a similar way, in a real way. You see, gospel love is far more costly and risky, yet it's much more exciting and rewarding than the world's version of love. A love that reflects Jesus takes the marriage commitment seriously. It seeks unity of thought. And works towards restoration when things get messy. Because we do know things will get messy. It produces compassion enough to ask, how are you doing? And it supplies enough grace when you hear the answer, I'm miserable. As a matter of fact, they might even say, go away. I don't even feel like talking right now. But that's the grace. That's the love grace that I'm talking about. That's, that's what a, a, a couple in Jesus will produce. Love is approachable in times of embarrassment. Love is able to revive romantic chemistry and is on the lookout for ways to please one another. Yet, when left up to us, our love can get a little conditional and biased, sometimes subconsciously and sometimes not. According to Paul Tripp, at its root, love is willing to sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Isn't that the gospel? Isn't that a picture of the gospel? The gospel that, my friends here at Refuge Church, is the gospel. It's the kind that Jesus showed. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. The Bible says Christ died for us. God's word never fails to point us to a more excellent way. According to 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 31. Within its pages we learn about sacrificial love, comforting love, romantic love, unconditional love, servant heart love. And love your enemy love. And all of these are essential. All the loves are found in a gospel-centered marriage. These, my friends, here at Refuge Church, are 
the four essentials of a gospel marriage. So again, I ask you, I ask you a, a question that I'd like for you to wrestle with over this long holiday weekend. I'd like for you to take this question and ponder it in your ride home. I'd like for you to sit over your coffee tomorrow morning or on your back porch later this evening. And I want you to ask yourself the question. I want you to wrestle with this question. Do you have a marriage that brings honor and glory to the Lord? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this opportunity to share your word. God, I pray that your word has brought inspiration to someone under the sound of my voice. I pray that if there's a couple in this room who has been struggling, God, I pray that you just provided the wood that would help prop them up and stand them up and put them in a place, in a posture of commitment to each other. I pray, God, that if there's something going on between a couple here in this room, God, I pray that you would use this message to fix it, to start a fire, to rekindle love. I pray, God, that you would allow this message to guide them. And to, I pray that it would help them to, to, to know a direction, to point them in a direction that pleases you. God, I pray that through this message, through Romans 5 and 8, the gospel that has been presented to us on today, I pray, God, that it would share with us insight and give us a, a, a guiding light to aim for, a direction. Help us to, to build that foundation again. Help us to do the maintenance that we need, Father. God, you are our strength. You're our help. You're our hope. Everything that we have is because of you. Everything we are is because of you. Be near, God. Be near in this place. As couples begin to wrestle with this question, does their marriage bring you honor and glory? I pray, God, that they would sit and ponder carefully and they would join hands together side by side and reaching for you at the same time. I pray, God, that it would lead them to repentance of things that they may have not discussed and things that may have gotten in the way. I pray, God, that you would allow them to know that you need to be in first place. Help them to see this morning. Help us all, God, to be humble. Help us to forgive. Help us to love unconditionally. Help us move out of the way of ourselves so that you can be in your rightful place. We're tired of being busy. We're tired of being distracted. Help us, God, to get on one accord, to be faithful to you first. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing and how you're doing it. We love you, we praise you, and we honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for tuning in to the Refuge Church Podcast. For more sermons or to learn how you can give to Refuge, check out our website at refugejackschurch.com. For those who have heard the gospel and believe the gospel, go out living the gospel. You are sent.